The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, it's time to open the scriptures together, all of us, and so I hope you will grab a copy of the scriptures and open with me to Psalm 130, or perhaps uh, if you have a, an app on your phone, on a tablet, whatever, uh, that you will access Psalm 130 uh, because... I, I say this from time to time, but I, I do sincerely mean it, that Psalm 130 is, is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, it might be at the very top, in fact. But open with me to this book of Psalms and page uh, Psalm 130. This morning we are coming to Psalm 130, which is another type of psalm. We've been looking together over these weeks in quarantine to this collection of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent from Psalms 120 to 134, and within that collection of psalms, there are various types of psalms, and uh, last week we saw a very unique kind, but we're used to seeing psalms of praise and thanksgiving, or perhaps uh, psalms of fear and looking for refuge. Um, This morning we come to another type of psalm known as a penitential psalm, a penitential psalm. Psalm, and you might be interested to know that uh, that this psalm is put to music very, very frequently, and it's oftentimes known by the the Latin phrase for the very first words of this psalm, "De profundis," "De profundis," which is the Latin for the first words of this psalm, "Out of the depths." And so, this psalm takes us on a journey. It begins in the depths and it ascends to the heights. And we'll follow that journey this morning. But another, another thing I wanted to point out just by way of introduction is that Psalm 130 is oftentimes called a Pauline psalm. A Pauline psalm, like the Apostle Paul. Because people reflect on this psalm and they say, that sounds like it could be written by the Apostle Paul. That sounds like it belongs in the New Testament. And this psalm, along with Psalms 32, 51, and 143 are known as the Pauline Psalms. Now, that's not a title that the psalm gives itself, but later readers, looking back on the Old Testament, read Psalm 130 and say, wow, that is absolutely full of good news. It's full of the gospel, like it belonged in the New Testament. And church history loves this psalm so much that Martin Luther wrote a hymn based off of this psalm. And I just wanted to share with you the opening verse of that psalm in anticipation of reading Psalm 130, Luther wrote a hymn, and the first verse goes like this, From the depths of woe I raise to thee a voice of lamentation. O turn a gracious ear toward me, and hear my supplication. If thou iniquities dost mark our secret sins and misdeeds dark, O who shall stand against thee? Who shall stand against thee? And this psalm belongs in the psalm of ascents. And as I said, we'll follow this pathway of a literal ascent from the place of grief and guilt and sorrow to the heights of forgiveness and assurance and God's mercy. And here we will see that there is hope amidst the darkness, that there is comfort for guilty consciences and relief for the burdened soul. It teaches us, it literally teaches us what we should do with the guilt from our sins. It shows us the way. And uh, we'll break this down in an outline here in just a moment. 
But first, let's pray and ask God's blessing on His Word and ask His help for the preaching and the hearing of the Scriptures this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we bow before You because You are the King of heaven and earth. You are the Creator of all things and the Sustainer of our very lives. And in this moment, Lord, we turn to You with Your Word open before us, asking, pleading that You would speak to us Your truth, and that as You speak to us, You would also send Your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds that we might understand, to illuminate our hearts that we might receive with faith the things that You have spoken here to us. And Lord, that You would illuminate our very lives, that we might be transformed by Your Word, and that we might do Your will and please You. And so, Lord, have mercy upon me as I read and preach. Have mercy upon all of us as we sit under the authority of Your Word this morning. Bless it to us, for we pray in the name of our exalted Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now hear the Word of God from Psalm 130. My soul waits for the Lord, a song of ascents. This is the Word of God. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And so may he write eternal truth upon our hearts today. And as you're looking at Psalm 130, I want you to notice that the psalm breaks down into four sections of two verses. There's uh, four stanzas of two verses. Uh, and this is going to be the outline that we're going to follow as well. In verses 1 and 2, we find the psalmist praying. And then in verses 3 and 4, we find him preaching. And then in verses 4 and 5, we find him calling for patience. And then in verses 7 and 8, we find him proclaiming. So, prayer, preaching, patience, and proclamation in Psalm 130. So, look again with me, and first we'll see in verses 1 and 2, we find the psalmist praying. Look where he begins. The place where he starts, verse 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy. We find the psalmist here, you'll see the word, in the depths. In the depths. The picture with the word here, depth, is the imagery of someone who is sinking down into the abyss, the dark abyss of the ocean. The same word is used in a fuller sense of Psalm 69 when David prays, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. It's literally saying, I'm sinking down into the depths and the waters up to my neck and rising and going over my head. And so there's this sense of spiritual panic that's here in Psalm 130. 
And in the Psalms, there are many things that cause this kind of sorrow. There are different Psalms that express different emotions. Uh, There's sometimes a sense of being overwhelmed by enemies, being overwhelmed by things outside of myself, persecutions and sufferings. There's oftentimes uh, sicknesses and sorrows. There's many things that drive us to a point where we would cry out in prayer, but specifically in Psalm 130, what drives the psalmist to this sense of utter need for God as he feels the floodwaters rising up over his head, what he feels the need for is deliverance from his sin. His sin and his guilt. The weight of guilt is upon him and the waves of the remembrance of his own sin are coming over him and overwhelming the psalmist. It's sin that drives us out of the path of obedience to the Lord. And sin presses us into ourselves and turns our eyes away from Christ. And as we pursue sin and unrighteousness, it always seems like the right thing at the right time. It always seems like the thing that will give us the most joy until we reach a point where we begin to sink. And we feel the weight. We feel the sorrow. It's like the prodigal son, do you remember, from Luke 15, who spends all of his inheritance in lavish living, thinking that it's the greatest thing until he reaches the bottom and it happens to be a pig pen. And there, where he finds himself sinking into the depths, to use the word of Psalm 130, he reminisces for his father's house and realizes, I can't stay here, I've got to go back. And the psalmist is crying out, Lord, let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy because I've blown it. I've sinned, and Lord, my heart is full of anguish and the waters are up over my head. That's why why there's things that you can't do if you're trying to alleviate your guilt. If you are a person that feels guilt, there's many things that you could try to do, of course. You can try to deny your guilt. You can say, that's not true, I, I didn't do that. That's not true about me. You can try to redirect your guilt and say, it's not my fault, it's, it's theirs. Or it's not my fault, it's society's. It's a social presser. You can attempt to redefine it and say, well, that's not actually wrong. Who says what's wrong and what's right? You can redefine it. You can deny it. You can redirect it. You can redefine it. You can try to balance it out by saying, well, that might be some wrong, but look at all the good I've done over here. Don't forget about those things. They'll surely weigh out the things that I've done that are bad. But none of those things is the true teaching of the Bible for how to alleviate our guilty consciences and how to handle the problem of our sins. The only thing that we can do, we can't deny, we can't redirect, we can't redefine, we can't balance it out. If there is any remedy to our guilt, if there is any remedy to our sins, it must come from the Lord. He must rescue. He must have mercy on us. That's why you will never really be able to deal with your guilt until you you deal with it in the sight of God. You must come before God with that guilt and with that shame. We must confess it before Him, our helplessness and our need. Do you remember that's why Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And you cannot sincerely be in the company of Christ without this humble recognition that I am a sinner. 
that I am a sinner. The diagnosis must be embraced before the healing can begin. And before we move out of these depths that the psalmist begins at here, we should remember some good news that meets us in the depths. Some good news. And the good news is this, that you and I are able to cry out from the depths and God hears us from the depths. When the psalmist says, O Lord, hear my voice, that's not a plea that goes empty. The Lord is able to hear our cries even in the depths. And I want you to notice that in the title of this psalm, there's no attribution of an author, and I love that about Psalm 130. Because if there was an attribution of an author, if we were to look back and see this person or that person wrote this psalm, then what we would do is we would look back in the history of the Bible and try to understand what is it that that person did that put them in those depths of guilt and shame. And we would try to see that. We would give that historical context to Psalm 130, but then we would do something else. We would say, well, that's, that's their depth, and I haven't done that. So Psalm 130 doesn't apply to me. I haven't done that. Or worse, perhaps we would say, well, that person did that, but I've done worse. And so I'm deeper than the psalmist is here. The Lord might have heard their cry, but He won't hear mine. But because there's no attribution of an author, we can't say those things. We can simply identify with the reality that no matter how deep, no matter how far, no matter how great the sin and offense, the Lord, who is omnipresent, is able to hear your cry even in the depths. What a wonderful mercy that is. What a wonderful truth of the gospel. So, how do you deal with your guilt? You don't. You don't. God must deal with it. There's no other way. We can't deny, excuse, ignore, or hide we confess our sins and we turn to the Lord and that's what the psalmist does here. So he prays. But then secondly, after he prays, look in verses 3 and 4 and find him not only praying but also preaching. Not only praying but also preaching. I've said this from time to time. If I'm the only preacher in your life, that's not a good thing. You need to be a preacher in your life and preach the gospel to yourself because that's what the psalmist is doing here. He is rehearsing the truths of the gospel to himself in his own guilt. Look again at verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now let me just qualify the fact that I think this is my own opinion. This is my own opinion for sure. But I think that verses 3 and 4 are one of the most profound statements in the entire Psalter. All 150 Psalms, this statement might be the most staggeringly beautiful, which means it's in the running for the most lovely statements in all of the Scripture. It's just my opinion, of course, but consider it. Consider what the psalmist is saying. It's very clear that he's facing this terrible reality that if God were to build a case against us, if God were to assemble a case against us, then every single day you and I supply Him with irrefutable evidence of our complete guilt. There can be no argument. 
Those people who think that they are doing good to outweigh their bad are so utterly foolish because there is no amount of righteousness that we could work to outweigh the argument of our complete guilt before God. We stand before God and the only plea that we can enter is guilty as charged. Which is why the psalmist asks the ultimate rhetorical question, isn't it? Do you see it there? At the end of verse 3, O Lord, who could stand if you were to count my sin against me? I would never be able to stand. But thankfully, the same God who is righteous and a holy judge is also, also a merciful and gracious Redeemer, isn't He? And so He says in verse 4, But with you there is forgiveness but with you there is forgiveness. Let me be very, very clear about this. Where does forgiveness come from? It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from your sincerity. It doesn't come from your faith. It doesn't come from your prayers. It comes from God Himself. The psalmist says, with you there is forgiveness. It doesn't come from me. Now, this was... uh, Uh, brought to bear for me in a a helpful picture. Uh, Many of you who are doing a lot of interacting on web meetings and Zoom and WebEx and GoToMeeting and Google, et cetera, et cetera, it's exhausting. And there's actually been studies about this that that say how much these web meetings are taxing us. Well, I use Zoom as a platform, and there's something very interesting about Zoom is that there's this feature that allows you to hide the view of yourself so that when you're looking at the screen, you see the other people, but you don't see the mirror image of yourself participating in the meeting, so it's more like being in an actual meeting with people. It's a very simple thing to do, but you can literally hide the view of yourself, and it makes these meetings uh, much more sufferable. It makes them much easier, but I thought, what a spiritual principle. I have to quit looking at myself. You and I spend far too much time, not just in front of a literal mirror, but in front of a spiritual mirror through which we are looking at ourselves and our performance rather than looking outward to Christ. And the psalm is calling us to look away from ourselves, right? With you there is forgiveness. We need to hide ourselves because forgiveness is only found in God. It's His to offer. Forgiveness is the gift of His hand. It's the mercy of His love. And don't forget the fact that Psalm 130 is within the collection of Psalms of Ascents, which means the worshipers would sing these words as they're going to the temple, ascending the topography of Israel to go and worship at the temple, and then they would sing this song as they were within the walls of the temple where animal sacrifices were being made to cover their sins. And they were saying, Lord, there is forgiveness with you. There is forgiveness for our sins. And all of those animal sacrifices pointed forward, didn't they? To the true sacrifice for sin. The true man to live in our flesh. The true Son of God to bear the perfections of righteousness and then suffer in our rightful place, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that by placing our trust in Him, we may know the forgiveness of what verse 4 is talking about. The psalmist 
in the Old Testament was seeing a shadow of the reality of what was still yet to come, the sacrifice of Christ. But we can look back onto the Old Testament and know that this is pointing forward to the full forgiveness that is available to us in Jesus' name, so that as we enter the courtroom of God's justice and accept the guilty plea, there is the ability to receive the pardon. Forgiven. Forgiven, free, and righteous. Like Barabbas in the New Testament, the man who is sitting in the jail cell who gets set free because Jesus is set forward to die in his place. And you and I as Christian believers, every single one of us is Barabbas because somebody else has suffered for our sake and set us free, the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you notice, do you notice what's that, what that is intended to produce in us? It's at the end of verse 4. The psalmist says, But with you there is forgiveness. Why? So that you may be feared so that you may be feared. There is a very important link between forgiveness and the fear of God. The person who does not come to the Lord for mercy does not do so because they do not tremble at the thought of standing before God. They have no fear of God in them, and so they don't seek a shelter of grace in Jesus. But for all those who have, for all those who have embraced the gospel, they do so because they hold the Lord in reverence. They worship Him with awe. And they are those who fear the Lord in the proper sense, as the book of Proverbs tells us, is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. The psalmist is calling us to receive God's forgiveness and fear His name in the proper sense of holding Him in reverence. So the psalmist is praying and he's preaching and then in verses 5 and 6 he's issuing a word of patience he's calling out for us to have patience because as the truth of the gospel works on us as we embrace the reality of our forgiveness we must practice patience as the psalmist says so beautifully in verses 5 and 6 look at it again i wait for the lord my soul waits and in his word i hope My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. What he's doing is he is applying the truth of what we've just heard and calls us to trust. Now, in the context of our worship services, of course, we have the gospel's declaration of pardon. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, your sins, past, present, and future, are indeed forgiven. And you might say, Yes, okay, but I don't feel forgiven. The memory of my sin and my guilt is still lingering and weighing heavy on me. I know that I am forgiven, but I'm struggling to realize it. And it's that sense that verses 5 and 6 is speaking to. That as we believe the gospel, we must wait on the assurance of the gospel to come to us. It doesn't always come right away. Notice how he says, in his word I hope, meaning he believes what God says, he trusts in the gospel of forgiveness, but even as he trusts, he has to continually rest in the gospel. He has to continually rest in that promise until it comes home to him. And that might be true for you as well, that while believing the gospel, it may take a while for the fullness of 
the good news to come home to you and bring you the assurance that you so long for. And that's why I think there's this repetition in verse 6. To drive this point home. And it's a lovely picture, isn't it? My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. And it's this picture of waiting for the morning, right? Now, what do you think of when, when you think of waiting? Most of us hate to wait. Okay, me personally, I would drive 10 miles out of the way to not sit in 10 minutes of traffic. I don't like it. We go out of our way not to wait. But the picture of waiting here in Psalm 130 is not an anxious waiting. It's not the kind of waiting that happens as we wait for biopsy results. It's not anxious waiting like an accused person waiting for a jury to return a verdict. This waiting in Psalm 130 is not a waiting filled with anxiety, but a waiting that is filled with hope. The picture of a watchman on the city wall standing guard through the long dark night, but completely confident that night will end and the sun is going to rise. That any day now, any moment now, my assurance will come to me as any moment the sun will rise during the night. A new day is coming. Workers who work the night shift sometimes say that the night seems to go on and on and on. And sometimes in your Christian life, the sense of a lack of assurance might go on and on and on. But this is saying that as surely as the sun rises, so surely does God promise to give you the hope of your complete forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But sometimes you have to wait on it. And that waiting doesn't need to be filled with anxiety. It can be filled with hope. It may begin only as a very faint light on the horizon. But as we wait and as we trust and as we hope, the sun rises and our assurance grows that God will surely shine the light of His grace upon you. The promise of God, the psalmist is saying, is more certain than the sunrise tomorrow morning. And if you are a child of God, a Christian believer, the promise of the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins is more certain than tomorrow's sunrise. But sometimes you have to wait. But that doesn't mean it's not true. And so the psalmist is saying, I will wait. And I will wait with patience upon the Lord. So what we've been seeing here, and we're almost through now, we've come to verse 7 and 8, where there's a proclamation at the end. And notice the literal ascent that's taken place in the psalmist's souls. He starts out in the depths. And there he's found mercy in the Lord. And his head is lifted up. His head is lifted up in such a way that he's able to look out among the people of God. And he speaks to others in verses 7 and 8. O Israel, verse 7, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him there is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. It's the great opposite, isn't it? The great opposite of hiding in the depths of my own shame is being emboldened to lift my head and speak the hope of the Gospel to other people. And that's what's happening as we track through Psalm 130. O Israel, people of God, hope in the Lord. And what this means here is that your salvation is, of course, a wonderfully personal reality. It's something that you hold sincerely in your heart. 
but it's not something that's just supposed to stay between you and the Lord. It's something that is supposed to be spoken, and that's why salvation is also a corporate reality, as the people of God are those who gather together to say, we are the people of God, and we have experienced this grace and forgiveness, and we encourage each other in this reality to hope in the Lord. And so I want to call on you today to hope in the Lord. Because with Him there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. There is no relief for the burden of guilt and shame other than this, that the Lord provides it in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Which is the way Psalm 130 says, with Him there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. Redemption even for you no matter the depths. And so what a, what a wonderful truth this is for us this morning. Something that needs to anchor our hopes as we see the psalmist praying, preaching, waiting with patience, and proclaiming that God will raise you from the depths of sin and shine the light of His grace and forgiveness upon you in Jesus Christ. And so, dear friend, hope in the Lord today Hope in the Lord and renew your trust, for in Him there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing this truth together. We're going to sing the truth of Psalm 130 now as we sing together to the tune of St. Columba or the familiar hymn, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. Let's sing together. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, now hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy voice if you O Lord recorded sins then who O Lord could stand but with you there's forgiveness, and therefore we fear your hand. I wait, my soul waits for the Lord, His words, my hope and stay. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for day. Yes, more than watchmen wait for morn I wait for God above 
shall put hope in this, the Lord's unfailing love. For with the Lord is steadfast love, redemption full and free. For he will redeem Israel from all iniquity. Let us pray. O oh Lord God, we thank You that You are a God abounding in grace and mercy and forgiveness toward us. Lord, as we confess our sins, we believe that You are a righteous judge that will pardon us, not for our own sake, but for the sake of Christ our Lord, who has lived and died and risen again, that we might have our hope in His name. Lord, what this world needs most of all in these days is a true humility that seeks our forgiveness in Your name as we confess our sins to You. Lord, we confess that we have indeed held hatred in our heart toward our fellow man for various reasons. We confess it and ask Your mercy upon us as individuals, as Your church, and Lord, indeed, Your world. Have mercy upon us, and may the light of the Gospel shine upon us that we might live as Your reconciled people as we celebrate Your grace, which is indeed greater than our sin. And so, Lord, we give you thanks in the name of Christ our Lord for all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.